Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome to the Triple Threat Theater Podcast. My name is Mixmaster Milsey, and my co-host is... Of Joe Daxberger. <laughs> Come on. I could, dude, I was just holding it so much left. <laughs> oh, man. I should have known. I was like... Oh, Got a ring in Milsey. season five in a, some kind of special oh, way. shit. Season five, oh. Dex. Did you ever think it would happen? No. I'm still not sure we're even here. <laughs> this uh, could be some kind of crazy fever dream. It's but, true. Uh, if you're hearing it, then it's not. And this is episode 49 uh, of Triple Threat Theater. Yep, yep. Uh, as we said, ringing in season five. And what a way to do it. With some good old beatboxing from Millsy. <laughs> With uh, three movies I've never seen before. That doesn't happen often no. on this show. I think it's only happened maybe once before. It's hard for me out in these streets trying to find movies that you haven't seen or heard of. So. <laughs> yeah, I had never seen any of these until you uh, made this list whenever it was and pitched it to me. I had never heard of them either. Mm-hmm. So this one was pretty fresh to me. I'll leave it to you to tell the people what we're reviewing and why. Yes, please. Well, tonight, Milzy, it's scratching, spraying, and surfing. So we have 2001's Scratch. 2005's <laughs> Infamy and 2007's Surfwise. Yeah. All documentaries by one Doug Prey. Who I'd also never heard of. You know, like the quick preamble is I had watched Scratch pretty much back when it came out and was a fan. And then, like, after however much time, like, Four years later, when Infamy comes out, like that was, I mean, that fe- that still feels like kind of earlyish internet. So I don't even know how that popped up on the radar, or like at what point I knew it was coming, or when I saw it. But mm-hmm. you know, at that point, after the two of them, I was like, I'm a fan of this guy. And then he, I mean, he's done other things since. And then Surfwise was a couple years after Infamy. So, so have you seen any of his other documentaries aside from those two that you? I have mentioned? not. No, but I'd like to. You know, now knowing it's a thing. Then, like, putting this together was kind of just, I own Scratch and Infamy. I've had them on DVD for years. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think at the time when I was thinking about it, I I knew, I had known that the Surfwise was a thing. And it just kind of made sense, like, you know, three different activities, you could say, is the easiest way to boil <laughs> it down. Going into this episode, I thought I have had not seen Surfwise, which is not true. I have seen it. Before. Oh really? Yeah. So it's just that forgettable, eh? I mean, you know, we'll get it, we'll get into things, but even like picking in the episode and everything, just being like, I know he's got a surfing documentary, but when I sat down, it's, it wasn't until like halfway through watching, I was like, wait, I've seen this. So I mean, we'll get <laughs> into it, but no. Yeah. So it's kind of one of those things. I don't like know a ton about Doug Bray. I mean, he's a director. I think he's like a producer. He's known for a lot of things, but um, it kind of just goes all the way back to 
Scratch, which, yeah, so it's fun. I mean, we don't do a ton of documentaries. on here. I'm not even sure how many we have in the pipeline, but. Yeah. I'm a f- I think we've just done the one, which was like uh, the behind the scenes yeah. movies episode. Yeah. Making of. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what else we got in there, but um, I know I'm a long, long time documentary fan, so. Yeah, I like a good documentary. I remember a couple of years ago hanging out with uh, former guest host Brian and his lovely wife Kim. And uh, I don't remember what we were talking about, but she asked me like over dinner if uh, like what are some good documentaries I would recommend. And like in that moment, I remember only being able to think of like three documentaries. <laughs> and so like going back through my letterbox and I made a list of all the documentaries I've seen that I can mm. recall. Mm-hmm. And it's about a hundred, which I feel like is a decent number. Yeah. But there's also so many goddamn documentaries out there in the world. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where like nine times out of 10, I, if like, if there's a documentary I kind of want to watch, I feel like I'll go to like a regular movie, like a fictional film or whatever more often, just because there's so goddamn many of those right. <laughs> that I want to get yeah, around totally. to. But um, oftentimes, like when I'm in the middle of a documentary, I have this feeling of euphoria, like, man, this like, I love watching a documentary. Why don't I do <laughs> yes. this more? You know, 100%. I absolutely. Yes. And so like, same thing here. Like, you know, I didn't really know what to expect from uh, these three documentaries. I didn't know this guy's style or anything. Like, all I really knew was the basic subject matter of each, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, spray painting and uh, like dj slash scratching and uh surfing none of those are like huge like things to me that that i'm all that excited about right so you know i was curious to see what these docs were all about but like going into it it wasn't one of those episodes where i'm like man i can't wait to sit down and rewatch this or whatever Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you know all three of them uh not to bury the lead, but all three of them, you know, it's at some point during the, in the middle of the documentary, I was just thinking to myself, like, it's cool that we're doing this episode because what are the chances I ever would have watched oh, yeah. these otherwise? Totally. Because again, like there's so many movies out there I want to watch and then only a small portion of those are documentaries and none of these were even on my radar. Mm-hmm. So no, I mean, it's come up plenty of times on triple thread just about being like, you know, when would I have gotten around to X, Y, Z? Good thing we have this show, you know? So, mm-hmm. But yeah, so there's not seemingly a lot of information out, out there about uh, Doug Prey. He's got a website and you can go read his like little about section and kind of learn like a very brief, like where he came from and how he got into the industry and everything. Mm-hmm. But looking up the stuff that he's done, especially after watching the, th- the three movies that we're going to be talking about. He has a couple of others. Uh, his first documentary was called Hype, and it came out in like the mid uh, '90s, and it's about uh, like the rise of grunge. Mm-hmm. And that one seems to have a lot of praise. And I watched a trailer for it; it looks pretty good. I'd like to check that out. Okay. He's got another one called Big Rig, which I imagine to probably be kind of similar to Infamy and Scratch, in that those documentaries cover like a topic. Right. And a lot of different people who deal with that topic, whereas Surfwise, as we'll get into, is more about one specific group of people. Mm-hmm. And so Big Rig, I think, is just about like people who drive trucks for a living. And, right. and then the one that I had heard of before is Art and Copy that he directed, mm-hmm. which is about like advertising. Yeah. And uh, I want to say that, was that like nominated for a, 
like an Oscar at some point, and maybe that's where I heard of it or something like that, or it won like an award at Sundance or something. Yeah, I know it. It had something because it's been around. Like I said, I think it's been on Netflix for years. But uh, I've never seen that one. But I was aware he did that one. Yeah. So he's done a bunch of stuff that now I kind of want to check out. But um, oh, episode two. There we go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the sequel. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, shall we just yeah, go ahead and let's dig right in? Dig in. See what we got. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, first movie is Scratch from two thousand one. Turntable was originally something you walked away from when you put a record on, you know? Never were supposed to touch it. Yeah. You know, your parents were like, don't touch the turntable. Don't touch the record. You're going to ruin it. It's everywhere. Everywhere you go, people are buying turntables. People are scratching. Get ready for a lot of fun and excitement. It's great. This is music I've been waiting all my life to hear, and I didn't know it. We're just on the brink of something new. The turntable is a musical instrument as long as you could see it being a musical instrument. I think you're probably more well-equipped to give like a basic rundown on this one. All right. Well, Scratch is part history lesson, part like uh, probably update of the current timing. It came out in 01, but into just... DJing specifically scratch DJ artists, not just the ones that, you know, are kind of in the background. It kind of goes all the way from the start of how, you know, someone even came up with how to scratch, you know, like on their mother's record player kind of thing, mm-hmm. all the way up to the current time in the movie. Um, A little bit of history for me, because at the time, 2001, I had a buddy of mine was a DJ who... We, you know, I'd spend like countless hours with him while he was scratching and working. Like, we had another mutual friend who bought turntables, and my buddy Mike just kind of gravitated towards them. Ended up just like, you know, kind of being a DJ. We used to go to he'd DJ some club stuff, or you know, I went to a couple competitions with him for scratching and stuff. So oh. I was like, right, kind of in the thick of things. So back, so it's you, actually, we might be able to spot you in the background of uh, one part of this documentary. I mean, maybe? Yeah, maybe more of like some sketchy like video from some South Shore bar twenty years ago. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, you know, I was a couple few times there. I lug crates of vinyl with them, or just like I said, just hanging out as I was doing that. So at the time, I was like kind of familiar with some of the people in this documentary. Um, not so much even like from seeing them or anything. I have was already like a fan of DJ Shadow without like ever seeing him, and he's like pretty prominent in this movie. Mm-hmm. So it was I can remember being like kind of like wild to me that like kind of starting to get into him, but like to me it was like DJ Shadow's. You know, it's probably a guy I don't even know. I mean, I have no idea what he looks like. You know, still like pretty early internet, so it wasn't like you know two thousand one. So, yeah, it was, like, just kind of a person that teaches that, like, I'm starting to like like their music. And then seeing him in this was, like, way cool. Like, totally mind-blowing. Like, he had an album that came out, like, the following year. Like, The Private Press, which is, like, one of my all-time favorite albums. So, I was, like, it was, like, at the perfect time for, like, me to see this documentary about DJing. Because it was, like, mm-hmm. it was, like, you know, I don't want to say all around me. Like, I was a DJ, but I was just kind of... A little more um, in the know, I guess, than someone just just seeing it for the first time or whatever. 
And so if you saw this back around the time that it came out, like, do you remember the circumstances there? Because obviously if you were into this kind of stuff already anyway, that's probably how you saw it. But I mean, I get the impression that for the most part, probably because, you know, I'm so into movies, but I'd never heard of this guy or most of the stuff that he's ever done. Mm -hmm. I get the impression that he's kind of, and him and his films are kind of niche. Right. And these, uh, like Scratch and Infamy especially, have this feeling of almost like an underground thing. Totally. And I mean, it's par- partially the subject matter it's yeah. dealing with. But oh, yeah. Like, so do you, like, how did you first find out about this? Do you know? I don't Your remember, goal? just because, you know, my memory is so bad. If I, had to, if I had to guess, it was just kind of, like I said, with my, my buddy Mikey, maybe just knowing that, again, it's so early internet, so it's not like I would have known it was coming out. I'm pretty sure... I just bought the DVD kind of sight unseen because of what was in it. Because mm-hmm. it was just back, you know, I still have the same DVD from back then. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, 2001 was the time where it just would be. It was not weird to buy plenty of movies sight unseen. So I think this just would have been another one because it was like, like I said, enough of a thing I was into that, you know, I'll, I'll just pick this up. And then sure enough, it was like people I was like kind of aware of or, even, you know, to a point like a fan of. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that was like kind of, you know, it's one of those things I kind of like racked my brain to be like, like, when did I first see this? But I think it was just me buying it. Yeah. So I was thinking it might be kind of similar to the way that like in high school, I got into skateboarding mm-hmm. because of uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Right. And then like through a roundabout series of circumstances, I got into like, you know, the CKY movies because they were kind of skating films at the same time as being like these weird skits and stuff and then the next thing you know oh look it's jackass right they're taking stuff right out of cky Mm -hmm. but um yeah so for me i mean (laughs) hip-hop rap which they specify in the movie are two different things and i never really would have been able to to uh explain that one on my own (laughs) But, um, I can help you out if we need be. But. Yeah, I'm very, very much like a country boy, white guy mm-hmm. when it comes to this stuff. Like, there's some hip hop that I kind of like, but I am not a part of that world at all. And right. like, uh, so like, just even the concept of making an entire documentary around scratching, like, I have the most basic or have had the most basic understanding of what that is yeah. because it's like the ret- the record scratch or like from listening to Linkin Park and like what whatever his name is that was a member of that band mm-hmm. and did all their like scratching and stuff. Yeah. Uh went into this with no knowledge whatsoever and uh what any good documentary will do especially if it's on a subject that you don't know a lot about. Keeping in mind that I went in with like no real attraction to the subject matter at all. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. Like the history stuff is kind of cool, but just kind of gaining an understanding of how much more involved and skillful yes. this the whole art of this is, mm-hmm. aside from just like, I'm going to move this record back and forth right. and make a couple of noises with right. it. Like I've never understood the concept of why when, you know, somebody is DJing they have two turntables instead of mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. and there's never a part of this documentary where they like sit down and they're like here's how a turntable works right but there are parts where some of the different guys in the movie like explain how they do certain things right. and um 
Like there's even elements of like watching them do stuff where they didn't explain what they were doing, but I kind of picked up on it after a while. Like yeah. watching them at some of the uh, like the events that they were doing where mm-hmm. they would have like a piece of tape or yeah. something on the record as like a visual aid for them to know exactly where to turn it back to. Mm-hmm. And then just watching the it's it's really impressive. Like once you begin while watching the documentary to understand yeah. what they're doing, and then it, it was like this weird moment of it's it's like as though I had never I never knew basketball existed. <laughs> and then at the same time, I watched my first basketball game, mm-hmm. and I it was it happened to be like Michael Jordan in his prime playing, right? Like. I learned that it is a thing, mm-hmm. and I saw like incredible examples right. of it being done at the same time. So, like when there's a just watching the guys perform live and now understanding what the fader does. Oh yeah, because like I I had no concept of that that was a part of this, this or anything. Is, this is like exactly then, why I was excited for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was just. That, like it's always interesting to see somebody who's really good at something do yeah. what they're good at, oh, yeah. whether or not it's something that you have an inherent interest in. Mm-hmm. But holy crap, like it was impressive because again, I I knew none of what this was and had such a basic concept of like what a DJ in these circumstances even does. Yeah. Not talking about like a like a wedding DJ who's just right. like right. putting a whole on a record thing. here yeah. and there and like fading things into one another or whatever, but. Watching how these guys can take just like a record and or any sound, like some sounds, yeah, and then turn like a couple of seconds of sound into like pretentious as it sounds like a composition mm-hmm. live yeah. is fucking incredible. <laughs> like it was really fascinating. Yeah. And there's other cool aspects of the movie too, like them. Talking about like certain historical, uh, what did they call them? Like uh, breaks? Yeah. Like these are the breaks. Like historical breaks that like were important and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, and how like those were secrets. Like the, the bits where they were going into like record stores, back rooms, and like digging through stuff, looking for things. Like all that stuff was interesting too. But my favorite parts of this documentary were just watching guys actually yeah. scratch mm-hmm. and do some incredible stuff while doing yeah. it. Cause I can remember, like I can say like, this is hands down, like my most could be even one of my most watched movies I've owned or like definitely <laughs> a documentary. Cause I've, I've just watched, watched it so many times. I can remember back in the day, like this was something like I would bring somewhere. I'm like, we got to watch this. Like people got to see this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just kind of fascinating the stuff they can do. So again, like I was like kind of just getting into like, this world like through a friend and it was like kind of familiar with things he would show me things and not, it wasn't like to the level of like these guys but like he my buddy mike was a fan already of dj Qbert, who was like mm-hmm. i've like this movie kind of makes him out to be like the upper echelon which he was i mean he still could even be but um he was the asian dude yeah the one in california that was like uh he was at the end where it's like they kind of like bestowed upon him like the 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 grand mixer title, you know? Yeah. Because they get it like like you said they get into a lot of the movie's good for getting into the history and then for like the current time because this movie was probably like made and came out. I would say at like one of the best times probably for DJing because like now it's like so much. If you like Google now like top DJs, it's all like house music stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Like it feels like like the DJing, like turntablists that they talk about in this movie. It's not it's not <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. So it feels like just from the the people that show up in Scratch that it's like the perfect time for all this. Because like like you said, it's I've seen I can remember like just being so into it because I was like I was into this stuff enough, and then to watch a movie that kind of covered so many bases, especially even like. I'm like young enough that I wasn't around when, you know, rap and hip hop started like in the mid eighties, say. So like, uh, it's his name's Grand Wizard Theodore. He's the guy who's like, they say like came up with scratching, you know, cause he was just, mm-hmm. what's he say? He's talking to his mother. She, he stops the record and he just kind of starts to go back and forth and it makes it, you know, makes that, that weird sound and it turns into a thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's like not stuff I knew or, um, there's uh, the one guy's Grand Mixer DXT. You know, you had that, they kept bringing up that song with Herbie Hancock. That was really interesting because repeatedly throughout the film, mm-hmm. they would be talking to somebody and they would be talking about like what first inspired them yeah. or where they first like Rocket. saw this stuff. Yeah. And it all goes back to Rocket. Yeah. Like, and you're right, because they do it three or four times. It was cool. Like every time somebody brought it up, Doug Prey, the director, did like a visual cue and <laughs> yeah. like showed that same shot right. of them performing that yeah. live on like TV or whatever. Right. And uh, it just like helped hammer home every time like, wow, that was like, because mm-hmm. I've heard that song before. Oh, yeah. And then seeing how important it was to this certain subset of people over and over and over again, that was really interesting yeah. too. Totally. Over, I mean, I, I still love this documentary. I mean, it just covers so much ground. And like you said, just like there's so many bits of getting into like the... They don't get into the nitty gritty technical, like how they're doing it. But like you said, like there's enough visual there that you could kind of see. There's a couple of times where, you know, like they'll have like, let's just say it's like one break. That's like a sentence. And there's like this one guy that cuts up the sentence and basically plays it backwards by juggling the two records. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. One. Like, it's it's fucking mind blowing. Yeah. Like I say, they never explain it. Right. But when I like partway through the movie was watching uh, one of the guys perform and he had like these like long white pieces of tape in the middle of the record. Mm -hmm. And I visually clued in like watching him constantly like shuffle them back and forth. Right. Real. Like when I clued into like, that's how he knows he just has to kind of eyeball like how far back to pull that like, you know, piece of white tape to get to like the exact moment that he wants to hit. Mm -hmm. And then, just all the shit that's going on, like remembering to like flip the fader to the right side and pull this record back while the fader is on the other side and then right. let that one go, flip the fader back. And then you, it's just like doing it the way that some of those guys do it. It's it like you said, it's like juggling. It's mm-hmm. constantly like while you have 1.5 seconds of something playing on one side, you have to be over on the other side getting that ready to play oh, yeah. for its 1.5 seconds. It's fucking bananas. Right. And it's like how like it's technical and like precise because if you if you miss it, you know, it can mess up that whole sound. It's just like it's mind blowing. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where like, again, in, in like my minimal knowledge of it, like, you know, I always just imagine like you just move the record back and forth and get like that. Mm-hmm. Like it never occurred to me that people like spent hours and hours like with a break like working on a routine and it's just like anything else it's like playing any kind of instrument or doing any kind of uh like memorized performance Mm -hmm. art Mm -hmm. 
It's just this one is done with turntables and records. Yeah. So anybody who's like into this stuff or has probably even a basic knowledge of what this stuff is, I probably sound like a complete moron, <laughs> but I really had no I mean, foot into this world at yeah. all. And just like I just it. found this documentary like enlightening and fascinating. Like, I don't know if I, because I've watched documentaries before. Like, um, I have a documentary that's all about the comic writer Warren Ellis, who's like been one of my favorite comic writers over the years. Mm-hmm. And I used to spend so much time on like his websites and his like forums and stuff like that. That when they put out, um, Warren Ellis captured ghosts. I was such a big fan that I bought it. It's a documentary. But then watching the documentary, it was just like a bunch of talking heads and like a history of his work in comics. And it's like, I felt like, well, I already kind of know all this. This kind of sucks, even though I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. I I don't think that this documentary would have that kind of effect on somebody who's already into it because you're getting to see, you know, points of view from all of these different people who you probably then know. Right. But yeah, I came into it completely fresh with no like preconceived notions or anything same with uh doug prey like uh, there's a definite style between this and infamy that you can kind of notice and um it does have like a kind of indie raw yeah for sure feel to it i mean we'll get into it with Surfwise, which just feels different overall but between these Mm -hmm. two for sure yeah so like just based on the style of this and the style of infamy which we'll talk about momentarily uh, I'm very curious to a go back and watch Hype because that was his first documentary mm. and it's also about music, mm-hmm. and uh, b like I'm kind of interested in checking out Big Rig. I don't know where exactly that came out in his filmography, but similarly, it seems like it's like about a subject with a bunch of different people. I think it was just between Infamy and Surfwise actually. It's Maybe either, it's yeah. either right after Surfwise or right before. But, like, I definitely am curious to check out more of this guy's stuff, and yeah. uh, those two specifically kind of yeah. jump out to me as things I might like to take a peek at. But. Right. Because it's, like, it's one of those things that's particular to uh, documentaries is, like, sometimes you, if it's subject matter, you could be, like, really into, but it's not, like, quote, unquote, like, the best kind of documentary. It could just be talking heads, but if it's something you're into, it's a different experience versus if you're just watching something with no preconceived notions, like you said, but it's like a really well-made documentary. It has a certain style. So mm-hmm. it's like any movie, any movie making, but I feel like, you know, there's plenty, I can think of plenty of times, even on triple threat, when we talked about, um, say overnight is the, uh, boondock saints director. Yeah, that's the overnight is the name there. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like that one, I feel like we can remember saying like, that was compelling just because of like the subject matter. Because it was yeah, all it was, it, it was just like thrown together footage. <laughs> you know, it was mm-hmm. like every bit of footage they had that came out to 88 minutes or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, but it's like so compelling. So I think just a testament to maybe Doug Prey's, you know, their compelling subjects. And he just like, he gives it to you in such a good package. Like, Scratch to me feels like it's like a warm invite. Like, hey, come check this out, new friend. <laughs> like, let's yeah. show you what turntablism is all about. And yeah, just the um, all the different footage that he had and the access to different people that he had, mm-hmm. which is again similar with uh, Infamy. Yeah, it's just like I was watching Scratch and thinking, like, is some of this footage he got from somewhere else? Did he shoot all of this stuff himself? Oh yeah, um, no, I'm. I think it was just him because I remember, I read a uh, one tidbit that was like he was having trouble like getting footage and in interviews, but once. Uh, 
Kubert signed on, then it was like people were calling him to get in the, the <laughs> documentary. So, yeah, you know, I mean, he got a good amount of access because there's one one great part. It was even like great for me as a, a you know burgeoning fan of DJ Shadow back in the day. They show like uh, that clip where they go to Kubert's house and it's like you know whatever night and it's a party and he's got like that one room and it's like four turntable sets mm-hmm. like set up in a you know set up in like a square table and they're just like everyone's jamming and then the DJ Shadow's there and I'm like holy shit that's him that's what he looks like. like that just looks like the most fun like if like as us as artists like that's the thing we would do just like sit around one big square table and draw all night these guys will just sit there and jam like i love that scene Mm -hmm. yeah that was cool which is like the introduction to like i think that's the first time dj shao shows up and then when they go with him when he goes digging in the crates for at that one uh vinyl store that one record store Mm mm-hmm and they head down into the basement. Yeah, is that the one where he's he talks about like he's gone in there for years, like looking for mm-hmm. records, and there were like somebody would always say like, "Oh, if you like this stuff, then you should see the basement <laughs> right. or whatever." And then after right. like five years, he was finally like, "Can I actually see the basement?" Yeah. And then when he gets down there, it's like, yeah, I imagine for them, it's like a fucking treasure trove. I mean, like, we, imagine if you and I were in a comic store and they were like, hey, come check out the basement. And yeah. It was just boxes of comics right. lined up like that. Like, like, no one comes down here, but they should come check it out. And it's like, I don't know if words can even do it justice to say, like, this looks like a humongous basement that is just floor to ceiling boxes of records. Yeah. So, yeah, if it was that was the same thing for comics, I mean, we wouldn't be able to leave. We'd be there for days. <laughs> exactly. Which is crazy, yeah. though, when you think about, like, at least comics. Like, you grab a comic, we're, like, familiar with most of the titles. You can flip through it for the art. Can you just imagine, like, trying to pick through a million records to, like, find that one <laughs> new sound? Yeah. So I was just, I can remember just being fascinated by that. That, that. So that this movie, like, definitely like, ramped up, like, my enjoyment. I even think of, like, DJ Shadow at the time because I became, like, a super fan probably after that point. Mm-hmm. Some of these other guys, like I knew like Jurassic five is like that one, that one rap group that has the two DJs. I mean, Qbert more through my buddy. I mean like mix master Mike was DJ for beastie boys for years. So I was like familiar with him beforehand too. Mm-hmm. Even like some of like the, the New York DJs. Um, Cause there's plenty of like DJ premier. I don't know if you remember him. He was one of the one that he became like a big producer for rap records. Mm-hmm. But he started out as a, just a normal DJ. I just think it's funny. Like every time I watch it, like it's so funny when they get into like how like East Coast DJs are and West Coast DJs are. Where it's like East Coast DJs are like we we are here to rock the party and have a good time. And the, the West Coast DJs are like we are here to talk to aliens. This is what we're doing. <laughs> I did think it was weird when they got into the aliens. The, the multiple <laughs> references from the West Coast guys about like. I wonder how aliens talk. Maybe it sounds like this. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, makes me laugh yeah. every time. Hubert had that fucking alien mask oh, like yeah. up on the, the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> the alien mask, a bunch of Gundams in the back. It was like, dude, this that the was best. super weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, but it makes me laugh every time. So, yeah. But yeah, again, you know, the movie, like, it covers a lot of ground. You know, it goes through production to like physically making the vinyl i mean all types of stuff but like still yeah it actually has like little uh title cards that come up every now and then that like take you to different areas of the subject matter which Mm -hmm. was kind of nice as well again not really knowing a lot about it and it just feels like uh like chapters in a book like this is where we're going to talk about this bit yeah uh yeah i uh 
I dug this movie quite a bit. Yeah, well, I'm glad, man. It was very, uh, like I said, it was kind of enlightening. Just took something that I knew kind of existed, and I, you know, I'm no expert or anything, but mm-hmm. I now have a much better understanding of it. And yeah, that's always cool uh, when you watch a documentary or something. Yeah, it's actually it makes it even funnier. Like in the in the documentary, they even go to like that like one um, that musical instrument like trade show. And it's just like old fuddy duddies like shitting on turntables. And so, you know, one guy's like, well, what are they going to do when the power goes out? Like stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, yeah, you can't watch this movie and not be like, I mean, there's a skill involved there for sure. Yeah, I like that that guy's only, his, like, the only thought that he has is like, we have to worry about the apocalypse when there's no electricity. <laughs> right. Like turntables will be useless then. Right. Like, we're going to have bigger problems. Where this the music is what we're worried from. about. <laughs> right. Like, I'm glad you'll be there with your acoustic guitar. But... It's like, yeah, check all these tasty licks. I don't need power for this or whatever, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good stuff, though. I, uh, mm-hmm. I enjoyed this quite a bit. Good deal, man. Uh, on to movie number two. Yeah, let's do it. From 2005, we have Infamy. Why did people carve the rocks, you know what I mean, and put the president's faces on there? You know, Mount Rushmore, why did they do that? They got a big kick out of doing big faces, or did they want it to leave a mark? They wanted to leave a mark. They said, these people right here, they are our founding fathers. So we're going to put their big faces on this mountain, and fuck who don't like it. I used to run track and play ball and all that. But I didn't care for that, though, you know what I mean? I couldn't shine hard enough. I'm making my stamp, and I want to see it everywhere. That's exactly what graffiti was. It was like that one thing that I could, like, you know, jump onto and then slide down out of the window of my life. This is gorgeous. This is beautiful. But see, then as soon as you turn around from this artwork, look at this pile of crap over here on the side. Why do a piece of artwork and then vandalize something? I, I, I don't get it. Which, uh, not as clear from the title right away, but is about uh, tagging and spray painting culture. Mm-hmm. This one's like slightly different because it, it follows like a, a core group of people. doesn't really get into like the history as much. This is more like particular, like where Scratch has, you know, there's... It checks back in with people throughout the movie, but it's not at its core focuses, I think, on individual people throughout the whole thing like Infamy does. Yeah, it might be a little tougher to track, like, the history of tagging. Yeah, for sure. Versus, like, obviously everybody, for the most part, goes back to Rocket when in in Scratch. Yeah, which is fine, because it's like, maybe even as, like, you know, Doug Bray, does he just want to be the guy that just makes the, the history, you know, current movie or whatever? So it's like, yeah, it's like a good change of pace, too, because you spend more time with these graffiti artists, which I like. Mm-hmm. See, it's like uh, character pieces almost of like five or six different main people. Mm-hmm. It is interesting that it's not like a group of them in one city or anything, though. It's right. like. They've got people from New York, people from the West Coast. They've got like uh, somebody was in Oakland. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who was where, but, uh, you know, they, and it's not like we're, okay, here's the first segment where for like a half hour or like 20 minutes, we're hanging with one person. It like jumps back and forth to the different people throughout. 
Go try and think. I want to try and think of who was your favorite. Oh, I got the list here. You got New York was Claw and Ear Snot. Then I think was I, Claw New York. I thought she was West Coast. No, she's New York. Oh. And then I think everybody else was pretty much. Oh no, NM. He was Philadelphia. Mm, right. And then you had uh, Jace Saber Tumor. I think they're all like Southern California. And then your your boy Joe Connolly, the the graffiti buffer. Oh right, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, this guy Joe Connolly just like he, they just follow him. It seems like an okay old guy, but he's just he's just trying to get rid of all the graffiti and drive around his neighborhood. He's got his van, his old busted up van full of paint buckets in the back, and he'll just you know he kind of like shits. He's like all like these little shit tags, and he'll he'll wipe them off and stuff. It was funny hearing him like trash talk certain <laughs> ones. Like he's standing in front of a wall, and it's like a mural, but mm-hmm. it's obviously got like that kind of hip hoppy tagging look yeah. to it. And he's like, see, now this is a nice piece of art. And then he turns around and there's like a couple little tags on like yeah, a phone pole. Like, and he's this like, bitch tag. Now this is just some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> he just like rub out, got his little spray bottle and rubs it off. It was, like, <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah. He sounded like, like some kid on the street in those moments, even <laughs> though he's like a 40 something dad. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, he's like, oh, graffiti, but then, what, I don't remember which one, but he's like, oh, look at this bitch tag. <laughs> I think that was that yeah. moment when he's like he's looking at the nice art on the wall. And he turns around; and it's just like some little thing on a on a telephone uh-huh. pole. So funny. That well, was good. I love that he's in there because it just you know covers. Like, it's a fun juxtaposition. Totally. He does come off like a real dick, but yeah. But he's like, uh, you know, I guess he means well. I don't know. It's one of those things. I was when I was watching it again because I've seen this plenty of times. Like I said, I've owned it for a while, but I was like, oh. I was like, Mills is gonna see this like uh this is like uh Batman and the Joker. How that thing we hate about the Joker is always like, Oh, you need me, Batman. Like <laughs> <laughs> without me, you're nothing. It's like the same thing Joe Joe Connolly has to have graffiti artists, so Yeah, it seems like his entire life revolves around cleaning up graffiti. Yeah, I mean he's climbing up on highway signs with his rollers. <laughs> like he's and just he's as crazy stories as him. about like, you know, if he's He's like, you know, I'm driving down the street and I keep seeing this uh, tag BLT. Mm-hmm. And so I start asking, like, I, start, I go to the school and I start asking kids like, hey, who's BLT? Because I know it ain't bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. <laughs> and then, like, when I find out who it is, then I contact their parents and I talk to them. And, yeah. you know, then they stop tagging on my street. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like doing his fucking Batman detective right. work, too. Because they don't, like, really say, but you get the impression it's like whatever his area is, that's what he's policing. You know, which is probably just where his house is or whatever. Yeah, it looked like that first time you see him, he like adopted a highway. So he's like working on that. And then, you know, it did get I. it sounded like he was basically saying just my neighborhood. But then he's like cleaning so many different areas. Yeah, So it's kind of hard to tell. So I don't really know what his uh, what his home turf is exactly. But But whatever it is, it's funny. Like you said, it's like the perfect juxtaposition for the movie. That, yeah, it was it was pretty funny when they cut back to him every now and then. It's just annoying when it's like, I'm sure this was put on for the camera, but like he's in his house with like his young daughter and uh, she's like drawing on a piece of paper. And he's like, that's right, honey. Paper is for drawing one. You don't draw <laughs> yeah. on other people's property. Stay in and the there's lines. A pause, yeah, like, oh, come on, and, and there's a pause. And then he's like, unless they give you permission to, then that's OK. <laughs> it's just like, come on. <laughs> come on, dad. Yeah. <sighs> but um. Yeah, going into this, I was I knew of Saber, who was like I guess pretty prolific. But back in the day, I used to buy the magazine Juxtapose, like 
mm-hmm. monthly and was always was always graffiti art in that. So I remember his, him from that. I would see juxtaposed, and even if it had like a really cool like piece of art on the cover or whatever, I would always think like, hmm, I'm not cool enough to read this magazine. <laughs> and I would just buy Wizard or EGM or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, Miz, you are cool enough. Okay. Well, I don't. I definitely don't think I was like uh, you know, fifteen years mm. ago or whatever when I was actually at a magazine rack thinking about buying it. Well, stop. Oh, behave. <laughs> but I think who's your favorite? I'm gonna say hmm, maybe Saber, maybe Claw. I feel like I could see like Claw, those little <laughs> wow. those little cat claws that's, everywhere. That's pretty good that you picked those two because I think. Uh, like personality wise claw was my favorite mm-hmm. but then like actual artwork wise mm-hmm. uh saber was yeah. easily my favorite mm-hmm. and there was a lot of talk well there was there was some talk about like how you know people knew him and his work and like knew his name and stuff and like yeah. he was pretty well respected within that community and you see why when you see some of the like crazy complicated shit that he did mm-hmm. but um yeah and then the, the whole thing with the LA river which he did yeah. that one that one fucked up his leg because he yeah. spent so many days <laughs> yeah, 30, working on a slant. <laughs> 35 days on a slant at the LA River now to he's put got his a name. Bum leg. Yeah. But then it's cool, like, towards the end when uh, you see that he got to be a part of that, like, uh, museum exhibit. Yeah. Where they did, like, this exhibit on the LA River and then they asked him to come in and do, like, some of the, the kind of tag artwork on mm-hmm. it. And so now, like, He's this guy who, you know, he is an artist and he's like, he does like respectable work. But at the same time, you know, he's still doing stuff that's like technically illegal and, you know, tagging on public property and stuff like that. And it's just crazy to think that like he was asked by one of the most kind of high and mighty seeming institutions to come and be a part of, you know, their historical document. Yeah. No, that was cool. That's pretty neat. I like this. Like, it's kind of the same with Scratch how it's not even like a competition thing. It just shows you like how things are different around the country. Cause like mm-hmm. the way stuff goes down in like New York is pretty different from LA. And then it seems like completely different Philadelphia. Yeah. Even just like the different types. Like, Cause again, I've now said it a couple of times and I'm not even sure if I'm using the term correctly, but tagging mm-hmm. like, you know, graffiti, spray painting, tagging, whatever. But there's different versions of it right. and there's all this terminology. Like one thing I actually wish somebody would have explained in the movie because they brought it up a couple of times and I never a hundred percent knew what they were talking about mm-hmm. was like, there's like tag throw up this piece. Yeah. Pieces there, and there were throw like, ups. Yep. Yeah. Like six different, like I get the impression that a throw up is just like uh what, um, ear snot was mostly doing where you just kind of put your name like real quick in different places oh, versus so that's tagging that's tagging the, the i quick, thought that the quick just name like quick style is tagging so then is throw up like the more complicated i think throw up would probably be like what claw does with like that like two color claw mm-hmm. logo of hers yeah versus i think like throw up is when they're doing like the bigger intricate pieces but see, this is what I'm talking about. Like, uh, I wish that it had been explained a little more because, like, I get the impression that it's like, you know, you you put up your tag or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then somebody else comes along and, like, tries to take your spot and they, like, put a that's, diss that's on it. That's the diss is just going over top of your thing. Yeah, but then there were, like, a couple of other ones. One of them was peace. And, like, I wish that that was explained a little better just so I would have a little better of an understanding of yeah what was going on sometimes. Like, I kind of got it, but there were so many terms 
I know, that I, I never fully caught on it to. It could have like used like that kind of style in a movie where it was just like someone would be like, oh, and then I did a throw up and then it like, you know, it would pause and then like on the screen it would say throw up is like this or whatever. Just so you know, <laughs> I don't a, even know if I needed that, but it would have been cool if somebody had like verbally just, explained what it You know, it I was. could see them doing it that way, but. Yeah. Not Doug Prey. He's too cool for that. Right, right. Um, one of the parts of the movie I thought was really interesting. I, I, it was cool to because you you know I've you know been you know, where I live. There's not a whole lot of this, mm-hmm. but um, you know I've been to New York and Philadelphia and different places where there's like a lot of graffiti and uh, like even driving down the highway and seeing it like under bridges and stuff and oh, yeah. never really thinking about like the reason behind people putting up tags and things. Mm-hmm. Not that there needs to be some complicated reason, but hearing the reasoning from a, a bunch of the different people, like the one that I thought was the most fascinating was uh, Jace. Oh, yeah. Who, like his thing is tagging freight, which is just like going into like a train yard mm-hmm. and literally tagging <laughs> every, every single. single train car that he can find because he's he's got this desire to like leave a mark on the world and like mm-hmm. he talks about how tagging the freight cars like his name his ta- cuz his tag is his name right has been like all around the country and he's like been in different cities and seen his tags that he had done like in completely other places and talking about like how he like he wants a- anywhere you are like a, if a train drives by that you can look and like see one of his mm-hmm. tags and um, the one place that I will see that kind of stuff where I live in the middle of nowhere is we have uh, like a train tracks that run through Main Street here in my small ass town that I live in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if I'm on my way to or from work, I'll get stuck there waiting for the goddamn train, which drives me nuts. But uh, that is the one place that I will see tags and graffiti. Yeah. And I always think it's cool when they're like the really complicated ones with like a lot of color and like sure. a lot more artfulness to them. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least more perceived artfulness, because you learn throughout the movie that even the the quote unquote simple looking stuff is a lot more complicated than oh yeah you might realize at first sight. But um, but now it's got me thinking like man, the next time I'm stuck at the train, I got to keep my eyes out for yeah. Jace's tag. Millsy, and I'll say I've seen one. Which Have you? It <laughs> blew my mind when it, it was years ago. I I don't remember if it was like in Boston downtown or something, but I saw one and I like. Like triple took. I was like, wait, was that really one? Was that him? I was like, holy shit, it was. It was like, that's cool. Dude, so cool. Because when, when he goes in, in pretty depth, it's like, I don't remember what the number he even throws up. I could even be like 50,000 tags. I think it's 50,000. Like yeah. he, he estimates that he's tagged 50,000 freights. Yeah. And he just kind of says like, he, you know, he had a drinking problem and he would just get drunk and he'd just go bomb an entire yard of dreams. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's what he kind of talks about is that like even, even, well, quote unquote now, this was like 2005 when the documentary came out, but his girlfriend says that, uh, you know, some nights he just doesn't come home until like the next morning. Mm-hmm. And that's because he literally goes to the train yard and it's, you know, again, not a, a reason for doing this that I ever would have perceived, like going and doing like a cool piece of art. Mm-hmm. Like his thing is he tries to hit every single freight car that doesn't already have his tag on it. Right. Just to try and maximize exposure, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is fascinating. Like yeah. it, it never occurred to me that that would be somebody's reason for doing it. Yeah. Like him. And I'm not saying it's a good reason necessarily, but it's fascinating to hear him it talk is, about it. It's and fascinating. Explain it. it really is. Because when, like him, it's like the spread. And then you get into like Ear Snot, who is just like a hurricane of a person. 
like he's he's kind of all over the place but him it's definitely seems all like, over the place him him is just like his, seeing his name everywhere for him you know it does you know to, to take up the space just yeah, so someone else almost can't. like uh it's almost like um marking his territory almost. yeah yeah he's strictly just like crazy tags i mean i even like like his they talk like hand styles like how he writes it's cool you know i like the look of it but and him they just the only times he's in the movie it's like he's really just got like a pack of markers like paint markers and he's just kind of like you know he'll stop anywhere to put his name up like yeah that's totally is like the marking of the territory where jace is more feels more like a philosophical like spreading of his his name around or something Mm mm-hmm and then you get to guys like NM and mm. who his one of his big things seemed to be like it, it, almost a mix where he wanted people to see it mm-hmm. but he wanted it to be like uh indecipherable like big and impressive yeah like on the side of a building or someplace where you would see his tag and be like holy shit how do he manage that mhm and like that's really cool and impressive too oh, when yeah. you see some of the crazy spots that he's hit. Those and then like because he, he he goes on and on about like the Philly style where it's like a lot of like those like fades because there's him he's like strictly tagging too but it's completely different than just like mm-hmm. say ears not for instance because then he goes into that one part about being like he make it's just his name it's letter N letter M but like sometimes he'll write it like E N E M. Or he'll do it backwards. And then it's like he tries to make it so intricate that you can't even read it. Like, I find yeah. that fascinating, What was that too. great line that he had about, like, uh, uh, he doesn't want people to be able to read it all the time? I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but it <laughs> yeah. was fucking hilarious. Because so many times I have seen graffiti and been like, oh, what's yeah. the point? I can't even tell what this yeah. says. Like, isn't that the thing? Is like you have your name and then you, like... Your, either your given name or the one that you've made up for yourself and you put it somewhere so other people will notice Sometimes, it. Sometimes. Or it's like... And me, like, boring old layman is like, that just looks like a bunch of lines. I don't know what that is. But his explanation in, like, one sentence, yeah. it, like, Makes it's the sense. most nonsensical thing I've ever heard. But at the same time, I was like, I get it. <laughs> right. <But> you know, like... <laughs> he said something about, like... uh yeah, I don't want it to be so clean that people can always tell what you're writing. And he gives a reason. It was so funny. Well, like, you know, like, uh, if we try to... Ex- Compared to like say like comic art or something like because we're comic fans we like to draw like you know like sometimes you'll see like like a really intricate background that someone normally would just like wouldn't even spend any time looking at but like you know that artist drew that for other artists you know Mm -hmm. it feels like the same kind of thing like when he's he's talking like that get those real intricate (laughs) tags it's just like the same thing yeah yeah like it's like you have to earn the skill to like identify that it's him and that's what he's going for (laughs) well that was cool too because there were different parts where people were like some of the guys in the documentary were walking around like pointing out different tags of different people and Mm -hmm. like commenting on them and like oh yeah Yeah. this guy he's really good at this or oh this guy's been around and Mm -hmm. man and then there were moments where it was fucking sad too there's like plenty of sad stories in the documentary about like dudes who did this and got mixed up in gangs or whatever but the parts where I forget who it was, it might have been in Philly with NM, like walking down the street, and he'll point out like a tag that's kind of like inside a window, and he's like, "Yeah, that one's like ten years old," mm. and talking about like that, like that's all that's left of that guy because mm-hmm. he died or whatever, right? And it's like that dude's tag is still there, and like in some kind of eerie way, that's like he left his mark, and people like 
leave it be and don't diss it because he's not around to defend right. it anymore. Yeah, yeah. It was like a that shit was cool too. It's just like I like there's a whole subculture to this yeah. that I never knew existed, and that's fascinating. Which is like just even this like I mean again, not so much with Surfwise, but like with these two for sure, like that subculture, it's like a good it's such a good like peer, like you can peer inside to how it works. Yeah. Like it's just enough and then just but with fascinating people, you know. And then you get to Saber, who's like the other far extreme. Like he's the opposite extreme to mm-hmm. someone like Earsnot, where I mean, he does other kind of tags and stuff too, but he does like the full on mural like full, shit like, and like just amazing, pieces, yeah. complicated, intricate, yeah. gorgeous pieces of artwork. And then when he sometimes when he's telling you he's like, Oh yeah, see this is the B and that equals out the R and I'm like you kind of start to see it in some of them. And it, it's again, it's the same thing. Like how intricate can you make it, but still be the name. It's like yeah. fast. And then to think, you know, to do, to just to make that is one thing, but then you're doing it like at night illegally on an angle, you know, looking <laughs> out for cops. Like it's just, dude, that's mind blowing to me. The stuff yeah. these guys can pull off. Yeah. I really enjoyed that part where, uh, I guess they had permission to do it cause they were doing it in the middle of the day, but where he just painted that wall orange and then him and that other guy put up like the, I think it was like Odie from yes. Garfield. Yeah, like, and that other guy. As a boxer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Oh, was that Tumor? That was th- Tumor, That part yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, that part was really cool. Like getting to watch them create one of the more intricate pieces from beginning to end mm-hmm. was really cool. And then wrong. he like steps back and he's like critiquing it. Because again, <laughs> like, like, all my life, just thinking generally without knowing anything about this stuff of graffiti and just thinking about it as like, oh, somebody just like did that real fast just to like mark that spot up and then moved on. But seeing them do it and then he steps back and he's commenting like, mm, probably could have used more green stars. <laughs> oh, next time. <laughs> it's not, doesn't have to be perfect. Mills are just finished, right? That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, Claw, um, it was interesting that like, you know, she. They they talked about how, you know, she decided to use an image instead of a name. Mm-hmm. And it, like, obviously represents her name because her name is Claudia. Her nickname is Claw. So she has, like, a – she's designed, like, a logo for herself, right. basically, that she puts everywhere. Three-fingered cat claw kind of thing. Yeah. And then she has created, like, a brand. And there was a great moment where she's sitting there in, like, a quiet interview. And she's – it's right at the end of the documentary when they're kind of summing everything up. And she says something along the lines of like, uh, I mean, is it worth it to go out every night and like throw my name up everywhere when people are wearing my logo on their mm-hmm. shirt? Mm-hmm. And she just stops and, and thinks for a minute. And then I I think she says something like, I don't know. And then right. it just moves on. But yeah. like she's actually start, made like a brand out of it. And like yeah. she's selling legitimate like clothing and artwork and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, it really – it. it it picks like six different people and then somehow manages to cover a different aspect of the game with each of them. And that's yeah. really interesting. I mean, she's the only one that like kind of even just like barely mentions like the old subway stuff, like from I imagine like seventies and eighties, like how when probably like the, the craziest times for like graffiti on things. Cause you, you could see like pictures of trains would be covered top to bottom. Yeah. But that's like part of like they don't get into the history part of that, which I kind of like in this one because it's just we're here to follow these people. Yeah. So. Like I said, it's a little more of a character study. Yeah. Also fascinating, though, just another world that I only had the most base understanding of. Oh, yeah. 
And now it feels like the way that I used to think about it is almost insulting to the people who do it. <laughs> like it, it ma- like it's you know it's fucking graffiti art, whatever. But it it makes me feel like so close minded about it. Yeah, opening those eyes, Millsy. Yeah, I know. Really interesting though. Really interesting. I mean, because I like like I like graffiti. I kind of always have. I mean, it just. You know, I would be, I wouldn't want to see like, you know, no one wants to see like graffiti on the side of their house or their own business, but it's like, I can remember like seeing some quote or something years ago, but it, it was something about like, you know, well, you drive down the highway and you got to see billboards like they're for of that on you. So like people just go <laughs> like, oh, I'll just cover that billboard with something of mine. I'm like, I, I understand that, that angle, yeah. you know, not to mm-hmm. talk like the legality of anything because it doesn't, it's not important, <laughs> but I, I understand that bit. Like, so. Yeah, just to like get like an intimate time with each of these people, it really is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So similar in like tone between the two, Scratch mm-hmm. and Infamy. Yeah, similar, similar stylistically, visually as well. There's one bit. Oh, I don't think we, we didn't mention, but in Scratch, I read after the fact, which I didn't know before, is that when Doug Prey was putting the movie together, he sent some audio clips to Qbert. For mm-hmm. him to like mix up to use in the documentary, so like those parts where like someone will be talking, they will just like scratch what they're saying, and the and the video will change. So <laughs> yeah, Doug Bray sent him the audio. Kubert would do something, he send it back, and that's how he edited the movie. That's cool. Yeah, which is cool. It's just something kind of similar in Infamy is where um, it's in Philly and he's talking to NM and NM's talking, but in the background you just keep hearing him say NM 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 right. <laughs> I love that book. That was him, good. Yeah. Him, he's, an, he's just like, he's got to get it up everywhere. He's like, NM, 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 NM. And it keeps going. It makes me laugh. Yeah. No, I love that. That was good. I remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, like back to like the whole just like style of a documentary. Like these have it, you know, mm-hmm. more than just your normal point and shoot kind of type of deal. Yeah. Very different from what I guess we'll go ahead and dive into now. Yeah. Let's do it. From 2008, we have Surfwise. In 1956, after years of insomnia, after years of anxiety, I embarked upon an odyssey. Dorian Paskowitz is a 58-year-old doctor who one day decided to give it all up and spend the rest of his life traveling with his family in a tiny camper from one wave to another. He wanted us to be unchained to a mortgage at a moment's notice, just get in and go. We'd wake up one morning and we'd be in Pensacola. Wake up another morning, we'd be in Corpus Christi, San Francisco, Baja, Florida, Venezuela, New Mexico, Alabama, El Paso. We just spur the moment, go wherever. Open the camper door, go out, do your thing, lunches at noon. We were not attached to the physical world at all. In some little town in Louisiana, we pulled over into the state park and he says, guys, there it is. We're down to our last dime. And he was excited. For 10 years, I was either pregnant or breastfeeding without one day off. When you have nine children living in a 24-foot camper, you have these flare-ups. So this movie is about a specific family, so a specific group of people. And it's not something like Infamy or uh, Scratch where Doug Prey could be there for the entire thing. So there's a lot of like old footage and Mm -hmm. photographs and stuff. And he's like building a narrative about this family. So a completely different kind of documentary. Right. Like to be completely honest, not to say that this is a good thing or a bad thing. Having one, I watched them in order 
uh, just mm-hmm. coincidentally mm-hmm. of release and scratch and infamy like definitely feel like the same person right surf wise i would have never been able to tell you that this was the same guy that made those other two no. again not that that's a good or bad thing it's just a it is different. very different kind of doc so this is you know it says they explore the life of surfer dorian doc paskowitz and it's interesting in this because it's it's a family but it's like a family like a mother and father and like nine kids so it's kind yep. of like almost a bigger cast than the other ones <laughs> yeah but it is because they're all like, a part of it right they're all a part of it but yeah even like as soon as it opens it's it just feels like the whole i don't even want to say cinematography but just like the just the the general <laughs> style of it just immediately feels different well i'll tell you the first thing that jumped out to me because i watched all three of these movies over the course of two days mm-hmm. so like we've mentioned scratch feels very like indie kind of down and dirty and rough infamy same basic feeling and then surf-wise, before the movie even begins, you get a Magnolia Pictures logo. And I'm mm. like, oh, a recognizable right. film distributor put this movie out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, the whole thing feels more polished. and mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's definitely a difference. But, I mean, uh, style and everything aside, um, fascinating subjects I mean, I mean, <laughs> in th- this movie. Like, this is one of those, like, if this is like a family that, like, there could be no other family like this group of people in the planet at any time, because it's... Yeah, especially during the time when this took place. So, yeah. the basic uh, story here is that this guy, uh, Dorian Doc Paskowitz, mm-hmm. uh, he was born in the 20s, uh, grew up and went to Stanford and became a doctor like a very respected doctor. And he also, on the side, he liked to surf. And then he basically came to the point where he felt like uh, he was like very stressed out and like having trouble sleeping and stuff. And it all kind of stemmed from this need to fit into society and like earn a paycheck and move up in the world and just like live to make money. And so at some point, I think around the 50s, he gave up like a very promising medical career, bought an RV, and just started like driving around. Mm-hmm. And um, he also began experimenting with sex because he felt that he was an inadequate sex partner. And that's potentially part of the reason that his first, I think, two marriages fell apart. Mm-hmm. And so he just started fucking a lot promiscuously. Right. And then he ends up meeting this woman, Juliet, who they get married. And they live in this RV, and then over the next, like, two decades or decade and a half, they have nine children, Mm -hmm. uh, eight boys and one girl. Right. And, like, going right along with Dorian's uh, lifestyle, uh, they decide none of their children will attend school. Check. They will all live in the 24-foot RV. Check. That's 11 people. Mm. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of other rules, like they're not allowed to eat sugar. Mm-hmm. But the other main thing is he, like, forces it upon them that, like, you don't go to school or anything, but you will learn to surf and be <laughs> right. really good at it. <laughs> right. And Because he loves surfing so yeah. much. And the funny thing is I never got the impression that the mother surfs. No. I mean, she says at one point, I, I mean, she might, the the line she might give is that, she spent like 15 years either pregnant or breastfeeding or something, yeah. you know? 
I mean, she gives the timeline of when the kids were born, and I don't think there was more than two years between any of right. them. Right. And like going along with his whole like holistic, like no sugar kind of lifestyle thing. Mm-hmm. I think that they explicitly say that uh, all of the children breastfed until they were at least like three years old or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So there was that. I think I think at one point they say something like he got – did he get money from a family or what were they living off of? I can't remember if he says he yeah, turned down the money. Yeah, somebody like died or, or, or like a house was left to them or something like that and they had like 40 grand coming their way or something and he didn't want it. Right. So because were... he thought that having money would like ruin their lifestyle mm-hmm. of like, you know, not having money means that we live a life this way. And if we had money, it would ruin that. Yeah. I mean, at one point, you know, it's kind of I think they open a surf school. That's kind of the only time you get yeah. the idea that they have like when the kids are older. I mean, they so they talk about how like obviously, you know, you need money for gas and to feed the family and everything. They did say that they mostly ate like a lot of soup. And that the mom would make like homemade seven grain right, cereal right. with no yep. sugar. And that's like primarily what they ate. But they did mention that there was a book, I think, what was it called? There was some book, I guess it came out annually, and it would have listings for like places that needed doctors. And oh, right, so right. the father, like when they needed money, he would find a location in the book where they like desperately needed a doctor that maybe like this town hasn't had one in like five years or something. And he would go there and he would take up a job just to make some money for a time. Mm -hmm. But like he hated money so much that he wouldn't even charge people like the full amount that they should pay for like whatever, you know, medical help he was giving them. And then when they had enough money to live off of for a while, they would move on. Right. It's wild. (laughs) Just fucking insane. And this is how these kids lived again. 11 people living in a 24-foot RV. Sketchy RV. Yeah, like camper van thing. Like talking about how they would like sleep on top of one another. And because of their promiscuous and like weird lifestyle, they mention how the mother and father would fuck every single night. And the kids sleeping in the RV just kind of had to hear it. Which is crazy to say out loud to hear. And they tried to make it like a natural thing where... The kids would walk in on them and see them naked and in the middle of it, and they would act like it was just the most natural thing. Don't be ashamed or whatever. Like, Yeah. Super strange. Like I said, just there's no other family like these people, for sure. Yeah. And they all lived together. Uh, when When the first kid finally left, he was 23 years old. That's crazy. So for 23 years, he lived in a van with all these other people. Mm -hmm. It's just wild. And it's like it's it's interesting and it's fascinating, like seeing all the pictures and hearing all the stories and everything and all the different people's perspectives on the family. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, seeing them all as adults and seeing where all of their lives went, you know, you'd almost think these people grew up with no formal education. Like they know they're a little bit worldly because of the way that they've lived. Sure. But I mean, at the end of the documentary, they do that kind of like. This person went on to do this. This person went on to do that. And like three or four of the kids now work in the film industry. Mm-hmm. And a couple of them have been in bands. Uh, Adam, the sixth son, and Joshua, the ninth son, were in that band, The Flies, right. that had that song, Got You Where I Want You. Right. <laughs> That's it. Like everybody knows that song. Yeah. And like two of the members of the band. We're the fucking members of this yeah. crazy hippie surfing family. Like, it's so strange. Like I said, like, 
earlier, but I says I didn't realize I had seen this already. It's when I got to that part where it's there in the flies and that song. I was like, wait, I've seen this. I was like, damn, this, this <laughs> shit is crazy. It was like all over again. Yeah. Because like, yeah, make that up. Like, of course, this random family, two of the sons would be like a one hit wonder band. Yeah. And I looked it up. Like, I, I looked up each of these people just to see. Because, you know, it says at the end, like, became a film producer or whatever. And I'm like, how much right. of a film producer is this person actually? So. The first son, David, there wasn't a lot of information on. He had had a falling out with the family and wanted to basically come back and be the quote-unquote captain and, like, right. run the surf school. I don't know if that actually came to pass, but uh, son number two, Jonathan, became a film producer, according to the movie. Uh, all I could find is that he did stunts and was the surfing advisor on the movies Blue Crush and Big Wednesday. So that's a while ago. Yeah. Abraham became a surfing instructor and owns a catering business, at least as of 2008 when this came out. Israel has an autistic son, and he founded an organization that teaches surfing to autistic children. Mm -hmm. Moses is a transportation coordinator for films and has been a driver for films such as Pearl Harbor, or Pearl Harbor Evolution, and the TV show John from Cincinnati. <laughs> All right. Uh, from what I was reading, it sounded like he was um, Michael Bay's personal driver on Pearl Harbor. <laughs> oh, all right. Adam is in a band called Jetliner, and he was a former member of The Flies. Salvador is a screenwriter and actually co-wrote the movie The Age of Adeline, which I have heard of. It's got Blake Lively and Harrison Ford. Yep. Nava is the one daughter, and she is a homemaker. And... uh Joshua, the youngest son, is a songwriter, surf instructor, filmmaker, illustrator, and a member of the band Life in Exile. He was also a member of The Flies, and he's done some voice acting for video games, including Call of Duty. That's wild. He's also the one, I think he's like the, the artist of the family, and I think around the time... If I'm remembering correctly, uh, the clothing brand Hurley, which is kind of like a surfing, skating mm -hmm. clothing brand, like he got in like kind of on the ground floor right. of that company yep. and used to do like a lot of the drawings and designs for them. It's just it's bananas how this crazy fucking family managed to get into so many corners of like art and fashion. Totally. And like uh, you could probably say Kelly Slater is the most famous surfer of all time. He worked for them at their surf school. Yeah, he was like a graduate of the surf school first, yeah. I think, as well. Yeah. So, like, that's pretty wild. Like, just like, you know, people you never heard of have actually, you actually have heard of in a way. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, the documentary is largely just like telling their story through interviews and like old footage and photos and things. And then the big wrap up at the end of the movie is they try to get, like, because the family has become estranged because of like the way that. They were all brought up and there is a segment towards the end of the film where it starts to sound like this like fun, crazy life of adventure wasn't always all it was cracked up to be and mm -hmm. things got kind of dark and violent at times. Oh, yeah. It definitely takes a turn. This yeah. That I wasn't expecting at all because, you know, not that it would be the ideal lifestyle, but it did kind of sound like, you know, we're all for one and together and all this and then. They're talking about like the one of the kids would do something bad, so the dad would sick the oldest son on him and like choke him out on the beach. And 
That was kind of rough, but uh, yeah. yeah. So they at the end of the movie they try and get the entire family back together for the first time in like ten years or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not quite the same as the other two documentaries, but no. you know, undeniably interesting subject matter. Yeah, that's the thing when it's like you can this kind of this particular subject and his whole family. It's like the documentary like writes itself because there's so yeah. much material there. This is definitely more along the lines of what you were talking about with um, Overnight, where. Not to say that this movie looks bad or anything, but right. this could be like a crappily made documentary and still be entertaining on some level exactly. just because yeah. of the inherent interest of the story. Yeah. But this, uh, I didn't mention in Scratch, which, how did you watch these? Did you rent them all? Well, I couldn't find Infamy anywhere. Right. And then you I clued me into the YouTube. fact that it's on YouTube. Yep. So when I discovered that was on YouTube, I was like, oh, I wonder if the others are too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Scratch and Infamy are both available to watch on YouTube. So, you know, people just randomly put them up. And then Surfwise is on Tubi, actually. Yep, so. that's where I watch that. Because I own the other two. Because I was going to say, I forgot to say during Scratch, like watching Scratch on DVD for whatever reason was like the most standard definition experience I think I've had for Triple Threat Theater <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah. It was like the grainiest thing I've watched in forever. Well, I think adding really? to the kind of like indie rough yeah. feel of those two first movies we talked about is the fact that I'm sure the versions that I watched on YouTube aren't the best quality in the world, mm-hmm. but I almost feel like that added something. And, and, well, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I was like, I was like, damn! I was like, when I saw like, so, you know, like certain scenes, like in the in the clubs where most most things are black. It's like it was so grainy. I was like, this is, I can't believe this is so standard def. And I was like, it just, but it feels right too. It feels like the right time and everything. Like, yeah, yeah. And then, like you said, Surfwise just has, uh, it's a little shinier. It's just polished and yeah. has like, you know, like the the closest thing they have to a quote unquote graphic. In Infamy and Scratch is like in Scratch when they have the black screen with white text just like telling you like uh, this is the section about uh, turntablism or Mm -hmm. whatever. And meanwhile, Surfwise has like the full on like uh, when they introduce each of the kids at the beginning, it shows like beach scenes, but it's kind of faded out with colors over it. And then like a big cream colored line comes in from one side and then forms the person's name and then like right. their face like fades in it's like full on produced like documentary yeah with so did you feel like you got like a good sense of like w- what was really going on with the family in surfwise like more more towards the end I mean, like I say, I wasn't expecting that darker angle at all. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, some of the kids start talking about how it wasn't all sunshine and roses. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting that stuff, and I would not say no that I have a full understanding of what that life was like at this point. It sounds like the the oldest brother wanted to come back in to maybe like he felt like to right the ship with the surf school. But I think everyone else thought there wasn't a problem. Whatever he got into, like, in his professional adult life, you know, he had money and became knowledgeable about business and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they had that story about how, you know, when he wanted to get involved with the the surf school again, he found out that they were shut down by, like, the the parks and rec department of whatever area saying that they couldn't run the school there anymore because of all these violations. And so the oldest son takes it upon himself to like get with his buddy who knows about law and stuff and like write up all the, this paperwork. And he came back to the family to present it to them and be like, 
here's like a foolproof way that we can mm-hmm. legally like make all this stuff happen. And everybody got pissed at him because right. they like didn't want to break down and go like the official like government way <laughs> to like solving this problem. And so it sounds like that's why he got ostracized from the family. Yeah, they give you like his angle, but they never really explain like what everyone else thought. But I just got the impression that it was like, I don't know if they just like they saw him like a suit. That. They like, saw him like a suit and he was like, you know, th- like everything they were doing was fine where it probably wasn't. But to oh, them, I'm sure sense, not, you know. Yeah. So it's like, oh, that family drama. Then, But it's got 11 people involved. It's just like, good Lord. But that's the thing is the documentary feels like it's got like this fascinating story. And, like, you could make a completely plain vanilla, like, look how kooky this family is documentary. And that's, like, mostly what this is. And it feels like Doug and company wanted to get into the darker, weirder aspects a little bit. Mm -hmm. But then they knew that, like, the big way they were going to wrap up their documentary was getting the family all together to hold hands one last time. So it's, like how far into that darkness do we want to get when the ending is going to be everybody smiling and holding hands and getting a family photo? Right. Like it feels like it's fighting itself a little bit where I don't know. It, I, I kind of wish they had gone one way or the other, like leave out all of the dark twisted stuff or mm-hmm. lean into it more mm-hmm. heavily. That's interesting. <laughs> because I mean, again, they, they talk about the through the whole movie. They're talking about how weird the family is. And, but that's just because of societal norms. Like, it's weird yeah. not to send your kids to school. It's weird to not want a lot of money. And it's weird to just eat seven-grain homemade cereal every morning for breakfast and all of this stuff. And, like, it's weird to, like, have sex with your kids, like, right next to you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that stuff is all weird. But then three-quarters of the way through the documentary, they suddenly drop on you, like... He used his oldest son, like his personal SS, to like keep the other kids in line. And it's like, oh, wait on, yeah. wait a minute. Yeah, there was tell no, me more no, about that. And then no, they're like, oh, but we have to get to the happy ending, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, like, there's like no implication of that at all in the beginning, like the first no. two thirds. That is kind of wild. And I mean, that could also be part of the reason that they ostracized the oldest son because he was like <laughs> yeah. their father's like personal armed guard yeah. or whatever. A couple of them, like you know, they talk about like. Um, basically being unfair that they didn't go to school you know yeah. like that definitely is like hurting them later but mm-hmm. which is again why i'm surprised that they all seemed for the most part pretty successful in their in their adult lives yeah i mean it's a certainly a, a view of uh you know what what's the right way for a family to go you know does it yeah is it just how that family decides to be or is it, do you stick with those societal norms i mean mm-hmm but then at the same time, after all this like weirdness and after you get like a little bit of that talk about how things were dark and kind of fucked up, there's at least one moment with uh, Nava, the daughter, where as an adult, she says like, you know, uh, would I if I could go back, would I change anything? And she's like, she says no. Right. And I was a little surprised after those like slight revelations of things yeah. like she basically says she would she would live that way again. But then it was also most interesting, I think, because all the other people, like, they work in film. It feels like they all, like, because of their very, like, outgoing and unusual upbringing, like, they all fell into these, like, I'm a singer, I'm a film producer or whatever. But then she is the only one, like, based on what the film says, she doesn't even have a job. She's a homemaker. Mm -hmm. um, And she has, like, kids and she lives in kind of a suburban California area. And she, you know, she talks about how weird it is 
to have grown up so free and just going to the beach every day. And now it's just like sitting in traffic all the time. Right, and right. Hers was kind of interesting just because she's gone from like one extreme to the other almost. Like the yeah. only thing that would be more extreme is if she had like an office job where she just sat in a cubicle right. all day. I mean, I'd love to see like, I wish they kind of showed a little bit more like her side of things. Like yeah, adjusting to suburban life after her upbringing. Especially being the only daughter, like I expected yeah. them to go into that more, but all they really said is like, you know, I didn't have like girls underwear because everybody shared clothes and like, yeah, no one, no one was ever fully clothed. <laughs> yeah. They were like, clothes. nobody, there was no time when they were all fully clothed. Like the best you could hope for is every now and then one of them would have like a really nice complete outfit. <laughs> and they back but, it up with the photos though. Cause there's always someone running around no, with no they shirt do. on. Mm-hmm. Oh. Or, or five or six of them running around no shirt on it's so funny yeah. but it's just like man this is just this is like perfect subject matter for a documentary because it's like if you were making this up as like a, a a fictional script you'd be like oh that's too ludicrous I could never <laughs> believe that yeah for sure <laughs> you know like oh no it happened yeah so definitely different from the other two documentaries but still yeah. uh, very interesting yeah for sure Lizzie, I got a question for you. Uh-huh. Go to sleep tonight. Suddenly tomorrow, for unexplained reasons, you are the best in the world at DJing, graffiti, or surfing. Which one would you pick? <laughs> like, you're still your life, you're no- normal old Milzy, but just suddenly tomorrow you wake up and you're the best at one of these things. Which one? Somehow I feel like being the best at DJing would probably be the most financially sound Mm -hmm. because, you know, you can be a starving artist in just about anything, but I'm not sure how much money there necessarily is in uh, graffiti Mm -hmm. art and uh, surfing. I don't know. You know me. uh, Physical activity (laughs) and I aren't uh, huge friends. Uh So maybe that could be your thing. Like suddenly, like, like, damn. I could catch me a barrel roll or whatever they call it. I think it. I'm most personally interested in uh, in the uh, graffiti art just because I like art. Right. But, uh, you know, if it came right down to it, I'd probably be able to afford a lot more hot toys if I oh. was the world's best DJ. Going for the money. I can see. I mean, I can see <laughs> you in any of them. So how about that? Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, part of me definitely, like, have well, been fascinated by all three things. But, like, as a, you know, been an artist my whole life, like... And thinking like graffiti is cool and amazing, but it's like I don't think I would gravitate towards that just like already being an artist. But where I've always kind of like wish I could have like a musical bone in my body that because I don't. <laughs> uh huh. So, you know, and just being like fascinated in general and being a fan of um, turntables and that music. So I think I would pretty much go that way, too. But I mean, there's something like a, there's something like very enticing about surfing, but. I think I'd have to go to the music too. Turntable duo. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Mix Master Millsy. But then, if we were famous DJs, Triple Threat Theater probably wouldn't exist. Well, you never know, because then we wouldn't have these day jobs. We'd probably have time to be DJs and still podcasts. You never know. But we'd spend all of our time honing our craft. No, we're already the best. We woke up the best. <laughs> I guess that's fair. <laughs> Well, we'd probably have more listenership if we were both famous wow. DJs. So. Oh, hey. You know. Who knows? What time will tell? Who knows what will happen when we wake up tomorrow? 
I love it. Are we going to talk some posters or what? Uh, yeah, let's do it. So, I don't think uh, documentary films necessarily known for their incredible posters, but we'll see if we can uh, mm-hmm. break that mold. So, Scratch. This almost looks more like a gig poster than a movie poster to me. <laughs> yeah, which probably is a good good on part. Yeah, I mean, it fits the, yeah. fits the concept here. Kind of a mustardy orange and blue navy. Mm-hmm. A little cream, you know. I like the the color for sure. Yeah, I mean it's a it's an appealing piece of art that you could yeah. easily hang on a wall and doesn't have any like shitty Photoshop jobs right. you see on a lot of normal posters. Yeah, now it's got a couple quotes. I actually like the logo too because they have like the the needle the is needle. the T and scratch. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, this is right off the DVD case, so I'm. You know, well aware of this one, but I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like appealing because of its simplicity and its color scheme and everything. But uh, it like it's not like an incredible movie poster right, or anything. Right. But yeah, it's not like any of the other like ones that are fully painted type of things, or mm-hmm. it's not even the most compelling image. But even like it fits like the kind of grainy feels like a it feels like a. Um, with the screen yeah. screen printing. Just, oh, screen prints. Yeah, it just yeah. looks like a, you know, two-color screen print on cream paper, which I like. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it, it, like I say, the imagery has like a DIY kind of gig yeah. poster feel. So, I mean, it certainly fits the subject matter. Yeah, it's got that like little, I mean, you could, I feel like plenty of people though could like pass by this and not pay it any mind. It'd be, oh, yeah. You definitely got to like look a little further and just get exactly what you're looking at here. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, what are you going to do with a poster for a documentary like this to make people totally. really sit up and take right. notice? Like, yeah, just have, like, a crazy shot of a DJ with, like, a crowd jumping around. I mean, and, yeah, like, I wouldn't want to see that, and I don't, I wouldn't like that either. So it's like, I, yeah, mean, I feel like that would perfect. kind of misrepresent the intention and the tone of the movie yeah. as well. So, so this is, this in, it's good that it is this way. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think it's a good poster for what it is. It's just, yeah. in the world of posters, it's not the most amazing thing I've ever seen, but... Right. I think it'd be tough for a movie like Scratch to have the most amazing poster I've ever seen. So oh, there you go. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Infamy. This one is like the only thing I really saw as far as a poster for this movie, but uh, this definitely looks just kind of like a thrown together DVD box cover. Yeah, totally. Looks like the, in- the intern made it. Like I honestly don't know if Scratch or Infamy ever had a quote unquote poster. Like I know both of those movies. Or no, I th- I don't know about Infamy. Scratch debuted at Sundance, I think. So, like, I'm not, I'm not even sure if that ever had a poster. Yeah. Like, I don't know what kind of maybe theatrical run any of these had, but mm-hmm. I would say we'll get to Surfwise. Definitely looks like a normal poster. I think you're right on the money. Like, Infamy probably never had a poster. It's just this DVD box art. Yeah, I think Scratch could be could go either way, but Infamy mm-hmm. yeah looks just like the intern threw together the. DVD but I mean, for all art. intents and purposes, like it could have like a really like one of those amazing saber mm-hmm. compositions on it or something. Right. It's like you could have either gone super complicated and impressive, like artistically with it, or that more down and dirty kind of feel, which they they went with. Yeah. Which could just be a case of like it was easier to go this way, but like I honestly don't hate this. I mean, it's not terrible, but like yeah. I I feel like if I was trying to come up with it, I wouldn't. Not a route I would go, but certainly not terrible, but it's not. Yeah. I mean, it certainly gives you 
a feeling for what you're going to see. I mean, it's a movie about graffiti art, and there's a guy spray painting a tag on a wall. Mm-hmm. It's enough. The colors aren't bad. It's like an orangey reddish kind of look. Yeah. And I like the way that the title pops out in white. Oh, yeah. You know, if it didn't have whatever the fuck that says at the top, QP3 collection or whatever up there, that feels like it's right off of a DVD cover. <laughs> right. That white would really stand alone there. And Oh, yeah. Even the simplicity of the logo, it's just block text with like a spray paint line through it. I don't mm-hmm. know. It works. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I don't love it. Yeah. And then surf-wise, I mean, if I hate one of these, it's probably this one. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's certainly effort put in. I just don't like the outcome. Yeah. I mean, this just looks like, hey, guys, it's a documentary and we've actually got a studio behind it this time. Mm-hmm. Like. Just put together something that yeah. might catch people's eyes. I don't know. It just, I don't even really know how to put it into words, but this just feels like a typical, yeah, lighthearted documentary poster. And, and like artistically, it's like, it's very washed out. Like, I think all, all the elements are too small. Like, everything could be a little bigger. Yeah. You know, and like reject a normal at the top is like kind of hard to see. Oh, yeah. I didn't even take notice of that right. at first. <laughs> Uh, the logo obviously is meant to be like, oh, look, it was just written really fast, but right. I think it's ugly. Yeah. Like if right. nothing else, go for the style of like the youngest son's artwork that he did for Hurley or something. You'd think so. But yeah, no, this is, uh, I just really don't like this. It's not appealing yeah, to me at no, all. No, it's same. just take a bunch of the old photos that they have of the family and like crop them out and put a, like. Right. throw a bunch of them together with the RV in front of it. You could be like, why is it called Surfwise? You can kind of see he's standing with a surfboard, but it, again, it's so small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's all I just, I, I don't really like anything about this one. I don't know. Yeah. It's like the most polished. Right. Somehow, but at the same time, it's but, just unappealing. Yeah, but then it's like, also feels like most made by like the marketing department. Yeah, 100%. So, Millsy Baby, break it down for the people. <laughs> Surfwise is going to get one broken surf fin way up uh, middle son Moses's ass when he had to go to the hospital and uh, <laughs> get his rectum sewn shut. Oh, man. Yeah, that was sounded pretty brutal. Thankfully, we didn't have to see anything from that. Yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> that story. Yeah, brutal. Uh, but yeah, not a, not a fan of the Surfwise poster. Just uh, I feel like I would have liked anything other than mm-hmm. what they did. You know, Infamy being what appears to just be like a quickly put together DVD box cover, it feels like it could be a lot better. But admittedly, for what it is, the type of movie it is, I don't mind it all that much. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll give it um, three points on the spray painted crown at the top of NM's tag. Filthy. <laughs> Oh, is just the best. I mean, this movie's almost. I mean, this movie is worth seeing, and part of just some of Eminem Eminem might be my favorite part of the whole thing, just because the way the way he talks and the way he describes things, and then when he's actually tagging and the you know he's like, "Yep, three dots, two two stars." Here's the crowd, you know, (laughs) little little weed out the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, that's Uh, what's interesting about his is like he's doing it. So fast, but there is like a little more artistry to his than someone who's just so simple like Ear Snot. Right. 
Yeah, he's like the perfect like middle ground between Ear Snot and someone like Saber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where there's a lot of meaning and thought behind it, but he's just like doing it really fucking yeah. fast because yeah. he's done it a thousand times. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Right. And then uh, Scratch... Uh, yeah, like I said, it's a nice looking piece of art. Like this would look appealing hanging on a wall, mm-hmm. even if you like walked by it every day and never stopped to take notice of what it actually is. It's just like a nice looking image, but for all intents and purposes, it's not like blowing me away. Mm-hmm. So I'll also give this one a three, but in this case, it will be uh three alien masks adorning <laughs> Kubert's shelf in his yes. uh, DJ room. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. So, well there done. You go. Well done, Millsy. Bye, right. Burn time. Bye, Bar Burn. Uh, would you like to go first or shall yeah. I? I'll, I'll go right ahead. By all means. Maybe surprising. Maybe not. We'll see. Burn. It's going to be surf wise. It's interesting. Worth seeing. I'm not necessarily launching it in the sun, but just on a level. Even though now I've seen it twice, I don't feel like I would ever have to see it again. Or like, especially like when it takes those dark turns, it's like, you know, it's a bummer at times. So it's fascinating story. I mean, it's well made, but when it it doesn't stack up to the other two for me. So it really comes down to infamy and scratch for me. It's a tough decision, which I feel like could change day by day because I've loved these both and owned them for years, but. Mm-hmm. It comes down to it. I'm going to borrow Infamy by Scratch. I feel like Scratch for me has the most replay value. It's the OG. It's the OG. And it's just, you know, it's fascinating to watch every time where just some of the, the stuff that happens will just blow my mind. It's music I enjoy. You know, it's I've fallen asleep to the DVD so many times and woken up to that DVD menu that like, the music is ingrained <laughs> in my head. Like I've loved it. I've always loved it. I will continue to do so. Right on. Give it to me, Millsy. I mean, this was this was exciting times for me for you to watch these. <laughs> Burn for me is also going to be Surfwise. Okay. It's a good documentary. I would say that it's the most. It's the documentary of the three with the most mainstream appeal. Mm-hmm. As I was watching it, I was actually thinking like I should recommend this to my mom because it's it's weird enough that she would probably get a kick out of it. Mm-hmm. But it's like also a normal enough documentary that I don't think she could watch, say, Scratch and really get into like, wow, it's so impressive how they do this. But, <laughs> right. you know, Surfwise just has that inherently bizarre, like stranger than fiction, truth is stranger than fiction kind of story. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's well-made and everything, it's good, but um, it doesn't have that kind of revelatory experience when watching it that I did have Mm -hmm. when I watched the other two. And uh, for me, I think I'm going to buy Infamy and borrow Scratch. All right. Talk about it. The main reason being, in addition to just, like, I'm more into, like, visual art than Mm -hmm. music and stuff in general. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just really liked that the way that uh, Infamy had like six characters that it followed the way we talked about, like it kept checking back in with these different people, like not even including what's his name, Joe, whatever the the guy who c- tried to clean up the uh, Joe Connolly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like graffiti he was funny. Gorilla. Yeah, he was funny to like go back to every now and then, but 
just like getting into the lives and the philosophies of those like six artists Mm -hmm. was really interesting to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I mean, I, as you could probably tell when I was talking about it, also really dug just like learning a lot about the world of DJing and Scratch. But Mm -hmm. um, it didn't have that like real personal touch that Infamy did with like the characters that it focused on. Like like there were a lot of interesting people in Scratch, but it was more about like the The art of subject than the the people involved right. in the subject. Yeah, Infamy is definitely like a character piece. Yeah, and Characters. I really dug that, just getting to know some of those people. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think... They're we... both really good. I enjoyed them both. Uh, I'm very glad. They, I would recommend them readily, both of them, to just about anybody, except maybe my mom. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, if it uh, comes down to it, and it always does on this show, okay. Infamy is going to be my buy. It warms my heart, Millsy. I'm very glad you <laughs> like them. That means a lot. <laughs> like, I really am curious now. Like, Jace sounded like he was having, like, a tough go of it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about how awesome would it be if I was, like, sitting at the the train station, like, the train stop in uh, in town there on my way to work, and I saw one of his tags go by. Like, for all I know, the way he was talking about, like, boozing and everything, like is he still even around? Is he still right. tagging? Yeah. Like how many of his tags are still out there in circulation? I know. Well, Millsy, like I said, I've seen it. So I want, you got to look next time. I, <laughs> I, I can't will, wait to get I'm the going text. to be keeping my eyes open from here on out. It's very recognizable. I'm going to yeah. be keeping my eyes open for I, Jace. Oh, I thought it, it was great. That moment, even like they have interview segments with a couple of their parents, these different people. And like Claw's mom just like does not understand. Mm-hmm. And, like wants to know why she doesn't get a real job, and they had an interview with, was it Saber's, Saber? Saber's mom is in it quite a bit. Talking about how like she like threw money down the mm-hmm. stairs and was like, "Get out of the house! Yeah. Like I, you don't come back or whatever." That was Saber's like, mom. I, yep. Call because I want to know you're okay, but you can't stay here anymore. Mm-hmm. But then uh, Jace's mom is impressed by what he does, and like when trains pass by, she'll go outside and look for his tag. Right, yeah. I thought that was great. And it is just like kind of like bubble letters, but the, it's so consistent. Like when they mm-hmm. see, when you see him going by in the movie, like, man, like he just really did it 50,000 times because they all look the same. So yeah, I can't wait to get the text from you. That's like, I saw one. <laughs> I'm going to be looking. Yeah. I'm oh, going to be looking it. from now on. Millsy, I got to know, who's your, who's your favorite person from each movie? You got to boil it down to just one from each movie. I, <sighs> Jace might be my favorite from Infamy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also dug Saber a lot too. He had this kind of, I don't know, this because of the way they talked about how everyone like respected him and knows him. He almost had this like, uh, how would I even put it? Like this sage, wise old <laughs> man of the game kind uh-huh. of feel to him, uh-huh. which I dug. But I did like Claw's personality a lot and yeah. just her. Uh, I don't know. It's tough to say, but uh, I'll I'll just I'll say Saber from uh, Infamy. All right. Uh, I have a little more trouble remembering who was who in uh, in Scratch, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm not even sure if he was like one of the main character people that they talked to. But the dude who, when they showed him performing live, he was like spinning around backwards and like oh, working Rita. the fader with his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's one of the one of the executioners. He's Rock Raider. 
He was awesome. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get into that because he was like, I, I want to say that was like 93. And they kind of get into it where like body tricks were big for a while. So he, yeah, he did that. It was Ninja of Rap. It was like Ninja of Rap. N- n- he was ninja really fucking lively in the like oh, yeah. the couple parts he was in. And then that was like a super impressive <laughs> yeah. display that he put on. That part, they like go through his legs from like behind with his, yeah. to the fader. Like, dude, it's nuts. It was insane. Yeah, I like it. All right, and all then right. Um, in surf wise, uh, a lot of the like the brothers kind of fade together for me. Mm-hmm. But um, I think uh, Israel seemed like one of the most down to earth of all of them. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who has the autistic son, right? Yeah, I don't know. He like some of them were on like different extremes of you know the full of themselves kind of like musician versus like. Uh, like Nava, I wanted more out of her, but she was just kind of one of the least interesting because they didn't go to her a lot. Right. But I don't know. I thought I thought Izzy was like a likable, right. interesting I'll dude. Same for me on Surfwise. I think like he got a good amount of screen time. The couple older brothers I didn't really like. A couple of musician ones kinda yeah. Same thing. the sister, like, I liked her, but she didn't get enough screen time, but you know. Yeah. Same with Moses. They didn't talk to him a lot aside from the story about getting the uh, the piece of the surfboard up his ass. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so yeah, Izzy for me. Scratch is interesting. I mean, I really like, I mean, like I said, I really like DJ Shadow. Like his parts in it are great. I mean, DJ Qbert is like such like a, a character, like. He's not like a wild person like Mixmaster Mike's feels like. Like he's very much like tuned into the aliens where Kubert <laughs> just seems like he's just, you know, he's like thinking on another level, but he's still humble, which I liked for being like one of the best. So mm-hmm. yeah, he just seems like he'd be like easy to talk to. Like I just like every time he's on screen, I like it. And infamy, I think it's like NM. Like every time, like I wish yeah. there was more NM in Infamy because he's just like he's funny. Seems like a cool guy. Like he's just you know, he's he he is himself, and I love mm-hmm. that. So it's tough with Infamy because I like so many of those characters. I can oh, easily yeah. say the one that I didn't love was Ear Snow. <laughs> like he's just an abrasive personality. I would have put all the money in the world that he was your least favorite. So, yeah, <laughs> which probably for me too because he's like like I said he's like a hurricane of a person. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like bad or anything, but yeah, the other personalities like I like more. But yeah. he does like the way that you were talking about how his version of like tagging and it it seems like it's all about him. It's like he wants to see mm-hmm. his name everywhere. Yeah, he just even when he's talking in the documentary, he doesn't seem humble or he just seems like he's there to promote himself yeah. or something. He he just has this attitude where I'm like. Mm, it's like a you're, younger you're like a New York guy. Like feels kinda, a little yeah. fake even. I don't know. No, oh, yeah. I got you. I can dig it. Millsy knowledge. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, interesting episode overall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, completely new world for me uh, yeah. three times over. So kudos to you for uh, coming up with that trio. Thank you, sir. We can consider you a Doug Prey fan now. Yeah, like I said, I really want to check out a couple of his other documentaries. Yeah. Like, I went to his website, and he's got trailers for some of them, and I watched the trailer for Hype, his grunge documentary, and it looks really good. And I think I was reading that uh, Vulture named Scratch the 
35th best documentary of all time. Oh, nice. But they named Hype their number four documentary of oh. all time. So I'm like, I need to see this. Damn. Yeah. I think I think we do. And Big Rig sounds interesting. Uh, I kind of want to see Art and Copy because I know that one got some praise. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's got some interesting sounding other stuff. So Nice, man. I am a fan and I would like to catch up with some more. Well, there we go. Triple Threat Theater, baby. <laughs> well, I mean, we gotta get down to the nitty gritty here, Mills. Yeah, what's next? How many episodes we got? Uh, two hundred and thirty-four possible themes. Where are we gonna go in season five? Mills, we are going. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Sixty-three, Millsy. Sixty-three. Earlyish again. What do we got? All what right. We got? Seems like next episode we're going to be. <laughs> <Holy shit. clears throat> People in the know will understand this reference and probably be able to pick some of these pretty readily uh the theme for episode 60 or for episode 50 is next episode right yeah (laughs) the theme for the 50th episode of triple threat theater is not quite a mop and not quite a puppet there you go (laughs) amazing so uh yeah yeah all right i'm ready I'm As ready. we've said before many times, now for something completely different. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> well, I greatly look forward to recording next episode. I greatly look forward to you, the listener, hearing it. Mm-hmm. Until both of those things come to pass, my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. When you opened the show with that, I was pissing myself over here.